We're at Romans now, chapter 12, verse 11. Before we go on, let's uh, remind ourselves that he's talking about grace and faith given for various ministries. The ones that he's mentioned, some people call them motivation gifts, the prophecy, services, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. These are not natural gifts people think about. If the Spirit's not involved, there would hay and stubble. These are gifting by the Lord, and there's either gold, silver, or precious stones. The same with other gifts, the supernatural gifts. Mention nine of them. One of them's healing. That doesn't mean it's a doctor. Doctor does not have the gift of healing as far as God is concerned. He may have natural ability and natural talents, but this is what not Scripture's talking about. And then we have the five-fold ministries, which are persons. They are the gift to the church. They are the ministry itself, and they exercise many of these other gifts, especially teaching and prophecy and evangelism. So we're talking about spiritual gifts, even these. If the Lord's not involved, like I say, they have no value spiritually. We're talking about the Spirit of the Lord giving a Christian preferably a mature Christian, insight on how to exercise certain gifts and callings he's called for. And so we do not look at them as their natural gifts that the sinner can exercise, because in a sense they cannot. They don't produce anything spiritual because they're not spiritual. So let's remember that when we've talked about these gifts. And then he talked about learning to cling to what is good and to be devoted to one another. And now in verse 11, we're not to lag behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In all ministry and services, we are to do it as if Christ is present. He is to be. We are to be yielding to the Spirit and working with the Spirit. And it's to be done unto him. Uh, not half-hearted or with laziness. We must remember we are not our own, but we are his. We are bought with a price. We're a bond servant. We're a child of the Lord, but as far as ministry and services, we are a bond servant. And this is how Peter addressed himself as a bond servant of the Lord, apostle and bond servant. They understood duty and stewardship. Today, people do not, and therefore they have no fear of the Lord, and therefore they're deceived. The apostles knew they would give an account for how they served the Lord, and they did not take that lightly. And they always looked at it as a bondservant. They didn't look at it as we're a child of the Lord. That's the relationship. The service of bondservant is your duty to the Lord and what you're called to do for him. And every Christian is a bondservant and to serve the Lord. So the Lord himself, remember, he told the disciples, "Uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I say? He did not base it on emotionalism, affection. The love of the Christian is to keep his commandments. He doesn't talk much about emotions and feelings. 
because they are vain if there is no obedience and no obeying the Lord. People need to understand this. They're not going to be loved unconditionally as the false teacher tells you. He will love us as we are faithful to him. He will have goodwill toward all, but there is no covenant love. And if we do not obey and follow him, we will not make it into the kingdom. We will be considered lousy, lazy servants, worthless servants, and his enemies. So people need to stop humanizing too much God because he said, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. So therefore, we have to learn the fear of the Lord and our duty to him and what he expects of us. So the Apostle John said, if we say we love God and walk in darkness and do not obey his commandments, he said, we are a liar and the truth is not in you. So it means God's not in you. Christ is not in you, if that's the manner of your lifestyle. Okay, So we have to do his will, his commands, and pleasure, and that's what master means. We're his, and we're not our own. And this is why we don't rarely hear, but Paul talked about it. He said, "We and Jesus, we take up our cross daily. It's a lifestyle. What is our cross? We head to the place of death. When our will crosses God's will, we submit to his. That's what the cross is. And he said daily. So that means you have the ability to do it or not do it. You have the will to yield to the new man or to the old nature. That will is not altered ever. And that's why we read all the encouragements some say there's 40% in the epistles of warnings and encouragements, rebukes. They're always appealing to the Christian to do something. Never says he's going to do it automatically. He says, you do this, you do that. Why? Because he has the capability to do it or not do it. And so we need to remember this. God does not overwhelm and make people do things. He can inspire and so forth. But people can still refuse to obey the Lord. That's within their will. Okay. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. So it's to have joy in your hoping for the Lord's return and your gathering to him. Joy is produced by the Spirit. We're not talking about human happiness. That depends on getting what you want and finding your own life. Then people are happy. But in joy of the Lord, and it is in a relationship with him, there can be grief and sorrow and suffering. Basically, there cannot be human happiness when these things are involved or at the same time, because again, it depends on what happens. People prosper and everything goes their way and they get what they want and they find their pleasure and live their life, well, they're happy. But it's self-oriented. The joy of the Lord comes from the Spirit and our relationship with Him. So there's joy and peace often in suffering and tribulation. We will expound more on this on Romans 15, 13 later, but it says to abound in joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. So remaining in this joy is not a human effort. 
A lot of people say, just go around and smile and laugh. This is a false form of joy. It's trying to make yourself do something that's not there. The Spirit gives a joy and a peace in the world. He said, in the world, you'll have tribulation. But he said, I give you my peace. So we're talking a difference between spiritual and natural. A lot of people try to imitate a lot of false Christians and people who think they're Christians. They try to imitate these things, and they're of the human nature. They're not divine. They're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this is what we're talking about, a different being. The new man is exercising the fruit and obedience to the Lord. It's not the old nature trying to drum up things. So it's not a false feeling. Many emotions, and you'll find this in many denominational and church gatherings today because most of them are false, many emotions are just that. They're human moods and feelings, and they can be stirred up by music and all kinds of things, and they do that, and they feel good, so when they leave, they feel they're spiritual. They've no more changed, they're no more spiritual than they ever were. These are human things, wood, hay, and stubble. They have no value in the spiritual kingdom. So a lot of people think they've done worship the Lord. They've not worshiped the Lord. It's a false form. Even the Lord under the old said, I hate your gatherings. I hate your musical instruments. I hate your singing. I hate your gifts. He said, they're an abomination to me. The gifts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. He don't want nothing from them. He wants their repentance and their holy living is what he's after. So that sort of nullifies what many people call Christian gatherings. So now he says, persevering in tribulation. They say the word persevere comes from something close. One person gave an illustration. It's like the salmon going upstream. He keeps fighting against the current, and he perseveres until he makes it. So it's fighting against opposition. That's basically what it means. And we have the world, the flesh, and the devil to fight against and warfare against while we are here on this pilgrimage. We are under a probation. A lot of people don't want to believe that. If you fail at probation, you do not make it into the kingdom. Jesus said you have to overcome. He gives us what is needed, and we have to use it or we're going to fail. There is no easy road. There is no once saved, always saved. There isn't somehow God will find a way for me regardless. He will not. You do not obey his rules. You will not make it into the kingdom. None of us will. See, again, we have the fear of the Lord. Fearing to sin against him, because that's what will separate us from God and make us his enemy. Nothing else can separate the Christian from his relationship but sin and disobedience. That can separate him. So therefore, we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord and not fall into all of these false teachings, how much God loves me no matter what I do. Well, you'll find out in hell it wasn't so, okay? So be steadfast, okay? Be unmovable. And temptation is what it means. Testing and trials. Knowing Christ gives aid. He said to the Christian, now this only applies to the Christian is walking in the Spirit and obeying the Lord. There is no temptation taking you, such as common to man, and God 
will make a way. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able, but make a way to escape. But that does not apply to the Christian or the person who falls into the lust of the flesh, who makes provision for the flesh, who is willingly rebelling and sinning. That scripture doesn't apply to him. He will fail. He will be led astray. We're to pray not to be led into temptation, temptations that are not needed, that we're not prepared for, that are not of the Lord, but because we're moving in the flesh. And that's what Jesus said we're to pray, that we may not be led into those kind of fruitless temptations that we bring on ourselves by entertaining the fleshly nature. Okay? So be steadfast. That means firm under any condition, unmovable. When you're fighting the devil and everything, you're still standing. Paul said, having done all, after he talks about the sword, the shield, and the armor, he said, having done everything to resist him, stand. So it means when the fight's over, he didn't win. He had to go away because you didn't give in to him. He said, withstand, stand. Having done all, stand. We're not to be defeated. Or we have to keep going through the lesson, and the person that keeps going to the lesson eventually gets bitter and resentful and falls away. He that is often reproved, notice the word often, he stiffens his neck, he hardens himself against the Lord. He blames the Lord for his own failures. And it said to him one day, he'll be cut off and that without remedy. It means God gets tired of it, and eventually he's not going to lead him or deal with it. His spirit's not going to strive with him because he's not putting forth the effort and the obedience with the Lord's help. So he is responsible. Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father cuts it off. See, it's nothing wrong with the vine. He produces and gives everything that's needed. It's the branch that decides whether he's going to use it or not. And if he doesn't, Eventually, the father looks and sees no Christ fruit in them. So he cuts them off. It means they're not a part of him anymore. They're a disgrace to him. They're an insult. They're a lazy servant. Okay? And that's how he's going to deal with them. So would it be unmovable, persevering through opposition, through temptations, through testings, and through trials? And we know that Christ gives us aid again. If we're not making provision for the flesh, people, they hang around situations that got them into sin. Well, you shouldn't do that. You don't go walk into things that uh, you have a problem with or that you have to resist. Remember, Hebrews says, the sin which does so easily beset us, your faults and weaknesses, if you overcome, uh, you don't go back and present yourselves and be entertained by them. You're opening yourself up to be defeated by the enemy. Now let's go to First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your dependence, your care, your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. And immediately afterwards, he says, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, like a roaring lion, seeks to devour you. So he's telling you there's a warfare, there's conflict, there's opposition, but you're to cast your care on the Lord. You're to get his help during times of tribulation. And if people do not, then they go down in defeat. 
for he cares and loves and is concerned for the Christian's well-being in Christ. His great aim for us is holiness, purity, and righteous living and this practical lifestyle. If you do not produce holiness, purity, in a practical, you don't have the goods. And the scripture says very plainly, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. See, these people talked about their righteousness in Christ. The many things they put in Christ while they're still living in the flesh, that scripture don't apply to them. Oh, I've counseled and talked to them. They're living in adultery and fornication and all kinds of sin. And they tell me, well, I'm still saved because Christ is in me. No, he's not. You're deceived on your way to hell because it isn't working. And this is the kind of faith and works that James is talking about. If you don't have spiritual works, your faith is lip service. He says, I'll show you my faith by my spiritual works. Spiritual works is not human. It's part human and part God. Spiritual works is fruitfulness, obedience, obeying the Lord. That's what it is. And the Lord helps us do this. He's not talking about man's efforts to do good on his own. That's unacceptable to the Lord. But it's not a freebie either. And it's not all grace and faith like people talk about. Script doesn't teach no such thing. It's the union of the vine and the branch. So when people talk about everything they have, look at their lifestyle. Are they pure? Are they living a holy, righteous life? Are they low lives? Are they impure? Are they in filthy relationships and call themselves Christians? Well, they're a liar and the truth's not in them. You see, people, well, at least I'm saved. No, you're not. You've been given a false gospel. See, and many of them out there believe the false gospel. Well, I'll just lose some rewards, but at least I'm saved. No, you won't. You'll spend eternity wailing and regretting your foolishness and knowing there's no hope anymore. That's what happens to those who are deceived and don't want to know the truth and want to believe the nonsense, okay? And that's how the Lord will deal with them. Devoted to prayer, given to, it means given over to. Take serious your prayer life, what he's talking about. This praying without ceasing is not what many religions do. They're chanting. It's vain. You have these prayer wheels and the monk sits all day and spins it. and It goes around several times a second and they think that so many prayers going up. What a foolish God. He must be stupid that he has to count them how many times as if it moves him at all. And that's what Jesus said. Don't pray with vain repetitions, empty and dead. And that's what chanting is. Oh, I see people sometimes they'll be praying. And it's like you see people stand up and say the Lord's Prayer. And, and they're doing, writing down something while they're just lip service. That ain't, doesn't mean nothing to God. A lot of people do it when they pledge allegiance to the flag. And when they finish, you ask them, what did you say? They couldn't tell you verse by verse what, what they were saying. See, because it's vain, it's chanting, has no place. So he's warning against this, that this kind of monk chantering doesn't chanting get you anywhere with God. And he isn't listening to it. He's not a fool. People treat him as if he's ignorant and he can be fooled. He's not, okay? It means never give up praying. We're to find God's will and pray it. We're to do it. See, that's part of the 
praying without cease. It's persevering under warfare at times. It's continuing on. It's keep asking, seeking, and knocking uh, until the answer or the assurance of the answer is there. That's what it means without ceasing. Some fool told me one time, well, I read the Bible, so I don't need to do it again. And he obviously doesn't know it either. That isn't what the scripture is talking about. Oh, I've learned this now. Oh, I'll go on. I had one young man tell me one time after some teaching, well, I've got to go somewhere else because I've learned all I can learn for you. And I thought, well, you ain't learned nothing then. Christians can learn from baby Christians. They can be reminded of things. We never get to that place that we can't move on and go deeper. Paul said he had not attained perfection, but he was still striving for it, okay? So we pray for daily guidance, uh, needs, uh, other Christians' problems, and so forth. We pray to keep short accounts with the Lord. Uh, when I say that word, short account, when we fail during a day or we do something we know is wrong, or, uh, we confess it, we repent of it. Repenting means just stop it. See, many people confess their sins all the time. They just never stop it. So it doesn't move God and their sins are not forgiven. When Jesus came on the scene, he did the same thing John the Baptist. First words out of his mouth was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It means stop doing it and confess your wickedness. And that's how John preached and got him ready for Jesus. They started clinging themselves up according to the law. And then they recognized Jesus when he came. And those who didn't repent didn't recognize him. So because they were still in their sins and they were being blinded. Uh -huh. So it's repent and confess our sins. If you do them together, you're fine. But one without the other is no good. So we have lots of people confessing, but you don't see no change of lifestyle. So the confessing is empty. It's vain. It's meaningless as far as God is concerned, okay? On the other hand, when you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness from the high priest, he does forgive us. He says he's, he's righteous to do that, for that's what he's for, because we cannot forgive our past sins. We can stop doing certain sins, but we can't have the past ones forgiven. It's not within our power, so we have to have the Lord to act as our high priest to do that before we can move on, okay? So we pray and keep short accounts, making sure, this is what many people foul up, that their conscience is clear and we are obeying him and not resisting his word or his will. The clear conscience, Paul said he always maintained. A lot of people say, well, I don't care much for the conscience. I stick to the word of God. The word of God is no good to you if your conscience is not enlightened and bears witness to it. The Holy Spirit uses the conscience to save people. When they're convicted of sin by the ministry of the word, without their conscience, they cannot be saved. And it's their conscience. And it has different levels of light, and it has to be enlightened and taught, and sometimes it's weak. But as far as good and evil, it basically knows the basics. God's put it there for people to understand the inner law. He holds them accountable, and it tells them when they've done something wrong or when they've done something right at times, the conscience. But Paul said, I maintain a clear conscience before God and man. 
So he was a unique person, wasn't he? Uh -huh. He must have been like Job. Okay. Go to 1 John. We've been there many, many times. We'll be there many, many more. 1 John 3, verse 21 and 22. Beloved, if our conscience does not condemn us, that's the heart, the spirit and conscience, that's the heart of man, the spirit. If our conscience does not convict us, does not disturb us, we have faith toward God. That's what the confidence is. Okay. So you can't pray with real faith, a Christian, if you know something's wrong. God isn't interested. He wants that thing getting right, and he's not interested in anything else at the moment. Okay. So he says we have faith toward God. So we can pray with faith if there's no guilt and we know everything's okay between our conscience and the Lord. And whatsoever it goes along with it. We ask, we receive from him. Notice it doesn't say we might receive. He uses it in the present tense. We receive. Why? Because we have faith. Why? Because our conscience is clear. And we're asking according to his will. That's what he's talking about. So most people's praying is empty. Most Christians' prayers often are empty. Okay? And he says, why? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. It doesn't say because I believe and I exercise faith. Yeah, I've heard people say, well, I stand on the word and I quote the scripture back to God. I said, well, you're an arrogant fool and he's not hearing you. Because that ain't what the scripture, the boldness is not in the original, it's assurance. So when people say, come with boldness, like they're going to demand of God that he answer their prayer, because he has to keep his word. He doesn't have to do anything to an arrogant person, but judge him. So people need to remember that. That doesn't move God in the least, okay? So it's because we have faith, our conscience is pure, and we know it's pure because we're keeping his commandments and keeping short accounts with him, okay? And we're trying to please the Lord. So that person can have faith in praying. He can believe that God's answering. But if he knows he's in certain sin and certain things he should get right, he's wasting his time praying for things. Because God isn't interested. So they need to, they think they're going to sneak around the Lord and circumvent. It's not going to happen. They think he's going to feel sorry and moved by their tears. It's not going to happen. Why, everybody in the lake of fire is going to be crying for eternity, and it's not going to move God when the wrath and the vengeance of God is visited upon them. So we need to get away from a lot of this humanism that doesn't speak of the truth in spiritual matters. It's only a part of things. It's not the foundation. The foundation is keeping his word if you say you love God. So John makes it plain. If you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. He didn't say how many crocodiles tears and how much good you do and how much you give. It means nothing to God. The sacrifices of the disobedient, the wicked, are detestable to the Lord. He doesn't care for anything from them. He owns everything anyway, okay? So if our conscience is clear, then we can have faith in praying and God hearing and answering 
his timing and what's according to his will. And sometimes we can find out, and sometimes we have to trust his timing. So there's no real assurance of faith if things are not right with the Lord. Now, I used to have an aunt who said she had all the faith in the world every time she prayed, and yet she was visiting fortune tellers. I told her she was false. She was on her way to hell. She didn't like that, but I didn't care because she thought she had faith. I thought you might have positive thinking and a positive attitude, but that ain't going to get you into heaven. Denying things ain't going to change anything. So if we ask and receive, that's faith. We ask and receive, that's faith. And we keep his word and his will, doing what pleases him. Most praying is self-centered, selfish, and worldly. And that's why the Christian needs the spirit to edit and to help at times. Peter thought he was doing good when Jesus talked about him. He's going to the cross and giving up his life. Peter said, oh, spare yourself. Don't do this. Well, he, he was saying this out of affection and human love for Jesus. And he was a little surprised when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He knew the devil was motivating him. He was using his humanity, his feelings. And he says, you don't discern the things of God, but of man. So he got a little shocker. He meant well. He loved the Lord. He had an affection for him. But he was trying to keep him from the cross, and the devil inspired that. And if Jesus didn't go to the cross, he'd be in hell eventually. So you see, he needed some little editing and understanding on how things uh, work. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Okay, Common sense tells us that we're to help the Christians and food, and clothing, and sex. We talk about the basics here, which, by the way, it's hard for many to take, but we're supposed to be content with food and clothing. And then people are praying about all kinds of gadgets, and this and that, and God wants me happy. No, it didn't say that. God wants you holy. And if greed and materialism is captivating you, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. So most of the praying, again, is selfish. They'll do good and hope that God will give them what they want. He's not going to be fleshly. He's not going to answer selfish prayers. Only time he answers selfish prayers is to punish someone. That's something. He gives them what they want. And then he sends a curse with it. It ends up not being a spiritual blessing. Oh, the rich and many people in the world, uh, they get their money, their homes, but a curse goes with it. They end up in the lake of fire. See, they can enjoy their life for the pleasures of this world. Uh But their end will tell how God thinks about all these things. Okay? So love, we have seen before, love for the brethren or for people, it's goodwill, it's benevolence, it's genuine in that sense. It wants to help. So love has to give or it's not love. That's a part of what love is, is kindness and giving. Giving. And so we've talked about the seven motivation gifts. They all minister to the church. They minister to the body of Christ, basically. And at times, the outsider. 
Uh-huh. All the men, the fivefold ministry, the ministry of the words are for the body of Christ, to mature it, to enlighten it, and the supernatural. They're all giving God's grace and giving faith for these for the body of Christ. People cannot turn it on themselves. See, it wasn't intended to be turned on itself. If one does not give, one does not love. Very plain and simple. All ministries, gifts, and services are giving. Love is kindness. And how can we be kind if we do not do something like this for those in need or when we have the capability to uplift a person? James said, do good unto all men especially those of the household of faith. Those that are real Christians, I'm not talking about churchgoers. Most of them are not Christians. He said, the real Christian, he said, they take the preference if you have to make a decision. People say, well, we want to get them saved. Well, yeah, but you don't walk over the Christian because you're kicking Christ in the face to do it. See, they're in the family. Christ is in them. And so the devil's in the other one. And we can be good and show grace, but not in preference. We have a different kind of covenant love with those in Christ that we don't have with the people of the world because they're his enemy. They're under the wrath of God and displeasure, even though his goodwill seeks for them to be saved and desires it. So people who put the sinner above the real Christian, uh, they're falsely in trouble, and they'll be punished for it later. They'll be dealt with at the resurrection. A lot of their works will be wood, hay, and stubble. They won't get nothing. See, because they're judging a human to human standards instead of the spirit. Okay. And then we say, and people forget this too, it's one thing to pray for others, but if you are the answer, do not talk of faith. See, a lot of people talk about faith as they squander and live in luxury and they think they've done their duty because they give their tithe. Well, the Pharisee did that. The law required him to, but he didn't give much in the other boxes because they were free will offerings. He did what was legal because he was a hypocrite often. So he didn't want to do that, but he made sure he tithed and he gave everything that was required. He didn't go no further because he's revealing his heart. Okay. James again, James chapter 2, we're going to read 14 through 17. What does it profit? What value is it? My brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. So he's saying, where is the fruit? Where is the obedience? This is what the works are, spiritual. Can that kind of faith save him? He's saying, no, that profession doesn't save him because it has no action. It's a passive faith, which is useless. It's a mental assent, but it has no action to it. Christian faith is active, and that's why he talks about it. So many claim to be Christians, but their claim is not validated by, by the Lord. They're false Christians. Most of them are, but they believe in certain doctrines. They believe the Lord is the Lord, and he died and resurrected, but that alone don't save a person. That's one of the requirements. Okay. The other is to follow him and be led of the Spirit. So you can believe in Jesus all day long and the resurrection. It's not going to save you. 
See, people think the mental assent's enough. Oh, I believe in God. Well, James says the devils do too, but it don't save them. And they know more about Christ than you do. Okay. If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food, food and clothing, basically, the foundation, and one of you says, depart in peace, be warmed and fill. And now he's talking about the prosperity people here. They got money and they don't want to depart from it. So they want to pray for you. They don't want to give you what they got. Oh, we're going to ask God to give it to you. You know, what's ours is ours. That's how they think. So be warmed and filled. And then they walk away and do nothing for them. He said, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body. What profit is it? It's no value. It's useless. It's vain. Thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, actions, it's dead. Well, that throws a lot of water on a lot of people's belief. Okay? So we see many people, they hear and see bad news of people's tragic needs and things happening in the world, and they feel sorry for them, and they cry and shed emotions and so forth. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. But it does not move them from feelings to doing something. Therefore, it's empty. It doesn't move God. It's hypocrisy. Oh, I feel sorry for him. Yeah. Someone's starving in front of you and you're eating a ham sandwich and you wouldn't even share it with them. You know, because I'm a king's kid and that belongs to me. These people got a deep hell waiting for them. Many of these prosperity, materialistic, Paul called them covetous and idolatrous. And that's what they are. Okay. And let's take a break right now.